Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. You can be seated. GPC kids, you can be dismissed. We're so grateful and thankful. Uh, you know, it's exciting to celebrate the day after Christmas because then you can reflect and uh, we can see that and understand that the work of Christmas isn't just the day, but it continues on from generation to generation. And I love the, the uh, Magnificat or the Song of Mary uh, that you heard Bria read from Mark uh, chapter 1. And uh, it was her song when she, uh, it says when she encountered uh, Elizabeth and she was carrying John the Baptist in her womb and Mary was carrying Jesus in her womb that it says that there was an excitement and a leaping in the womb and it was the song that came to Mary and we say it to pregnant mothers but there's always a glow and an excitement and um, just to picture and to think of where Mary was in that day and in that time um, how her yes changed the world her yes to the Holy Spirit and as we're on the last Sunday of 2021, I pray this morning that you say yes to the Holy Spirit and whatever he's teaching you and whatever he's leading you in, show of hands who's saying yes to the Holy Spirit, that you're not going to deny his presence, you're not going to grieve his presence, but when you say yes to him, it'll take you on the wildest adventure of your life, but it's worth every moment and it's in his presence we find the fullness of what we long for. We find his love. We find his grace. We find his mercy. And when we're in God's house, we nourish the presence of God in our lives. And so I want to simply talk this morning, and I won't be long, but um, says every pastor when they open a message. But uh, I simply titled it The Illumination of the Incarnation. Uh, and if you're taking notes, you can put a definition to what the incarnation is. And it's simply God becoming man in Christ Jesus. That we looked at last week, the enunciation of how it was given in prophecy that uh, there would come um, a seed that would destroy the serpent's head in Genesis. And we talked of in Isaiah how that sign was given. And it said to ask for a sign and let it be as deep as hell and as high as heaven. And how we think of the gospel message, how Jesus went as deep as hell met us here on earth, and then went as high as heaven, that he covers anything and everything with his presence. And we celebrate today through the coming of Christ that sin has no power over us and that death is not our defeat. Death is not our destination. But we have a resurrected body that awaits us, that we have an eternity that awaits us. And that's why we celebrate and that's why we sing, that death is defeated and that sin is defeated. And as we go from glory to glory, as we grow in our walk with God, that the effects and the power of sin should be diminished, it should be weakened, and that your identity as a saint begins to illuminate. And none of this can take place unless the incarnation never happened, unless God never became man and rescued us, fulfilled prophecy, and today is what we celebrate. And so that's what I want to draw our attention to is that not just did the word become flesh in Jesus, but hear this, the word is becoming flesh in us. This is what's amazing about the incarnation, how it continues in us, that it just doesn't happen thousands of years ago, year ago in Bethlehem in a stable, 
and with Mary and Joseph, but that was the beginning, the, the divine invasion of God's love into our world and into humanity. But it's up to us and on us to allow the incarnation to continue in us and to allow the word to be made flesh in us. Anyone sign up for that this morning, that I, I want the word to be made flesh in us? I want to look more like Jesus. I want to absorb his presence. I want to absorb his goodness so that when people see me, they see more of him. And I pray the older I get, the more wisdom I gain, the more failure that happens that I learn from, that in everything, that on the other side of it, I look more like him. And that's the hope that we have in the gospel, that even in our failure and even in our victory, whatever that looks like in the circumstance, we can become more like him, that he works all things for the good of those who love him. And so looking at this of how the incarnation continues in us, um, there's a, a quote that really, uh, from a church father in the 300s, Gregory of Nyssa, and a lot of his writings are, are wonderful and really describe this idea and this principle of the incarnation. But he speaks to uh, the nature of man. And Seth, I want you to put it up, but he says this. He says, sick was our nature, and it demanded to be healed, fallen to be raised up, dead to rise again. Closed in darkness, it was necessary to bring us the light. Captives, we awaited a Savior. So this is the condition of all of us before we meet Christ, that we're sick, that our nature demands to be healed, that salvation, we understand, is healing. And then from healing, we have to understand we are fallen people. And without the work of Christ in us, saving us, healing us, teaching us, filling us with his spirit, that we understand that we are in darkness. And that's why he has to bring us into the light. And you in the house of God this morning, you're saying that I want what happened not just on the cross, not just what happened at the birth of Christ, but through the giving of the Holy Spirit, through the mysteries that he gives us, is that when we partake, and we're going to look at this, that first Peter uh, gives us, that we are partakers or, or participants in the divine nature, that we participate in this work of Christ becoming flesh in us and through us. And when you think about you and I, our calling is to be participants and partakers of the divine nature of Jesus, it begins to change how you see everything. It begins to change, you know what, I'm not going to get trapped in this dysfunction that's constantly trying to pull me back into uh, the place that isn't Christ or the place that God's not bringing me into. Because there's always, a, a, what I see, there's a moment or a time when you experience your own dysfunction or you get caught up in somebody else's dysfunction or maybe it's a traumatic event. And if you're not careful, you can get trapped there. And that's what becomes your lens and what defines how you see forward into every part of your life. But when you live, as we're talking this morning, in light of everything is illuminated in my life from this place that God became a man in Jesus and Jesus would one day die for my sins, redeem and reconcile and give give the understanding that this is what I was born for. That my calling as a believer, as a follower of Christ, is to take the word made flesh and to go into the world sharing and preaching the gospel and redeeming 
what God loved so much. When you think of Mary, when you think of this incarnation, God didn't just start over, say, you know what, I'm done with humanity, their sin, their wickedness, I'm starting over. But what he did was he recreated through Mary. And it shows that many times when we feel like we're fallen or we've fallen too low or we're not worthy to be brought back up or redeemed, it shows that God is always in the work of redeeming and recreating what we think is too far gone and what is too broken. You read the genealogy of Jesus. You see who is in this lineage of what would come through Mary and and where Jesus would come through. It should give all of us hope that Jesus didn't go to the, to the purest and to the elite and to those that on the top, but he identified with some messed up families in his line. So when you see how Jesus isn't afraid to come in, in your weakness, in your, um, isn't afraid to get in those messy parts or identify in your brokenness and your weakness, it should give you great hope that when I experience some dysfunction or there's some stuff in, in, in my family line that I'm not too proud of, or that I'm ashamed of, that those are the places that Jesus wants to come and do the greatest miracle in. That he's not afraid of it, he's not disgusted with you because of it, but that's the place he wants to come and redeem and do some recreating in your life. And so as we, again, go back to sick, our nature demanded to be healed, fallen to be raised up, dead to rise again, closed in darkness, it was necessary. This is what Christmas is about. It's necessary to bring us the light captives, we awaited the Savior. Another quote for you, a lot of the church fathers would talk of what is taking place in in 1 Peter, we'll read in a minute, but how we're partakers of the divine nature, that the language they put to it, which kind of makes you take a step back. Seth, if you put it up, it says that this was really the language of, of the early church. They said, God became man, so man could become lowercase God. And you see it for a second, you're like, wait a minute. I am by no means infinite, and this is what they're not talking about, that we're not infinite like God, we're not omniscient, all of the the characters and attributes of God, it's not saying that we're God, but it's saying that God longs to take who we are, identify with us, and raise us up in Christ and allow the word to come through us and to be made flesh in us. And so when you see this, you see that there's this universal call to holiness that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and in order for the word to manifest and to become flesh in us, you have to see your, your, your body, you have to see your character, you have to see your emotional life, your spiritual life, that it is a temple that God is dwelling in. And when you think of how God wants to dwell in you, it's scary, and it's, it's fearful, and it, and it puts the fear of God in you, that we are the temple that God longs to heal, to dwell in, to manifest himself in. And you should see why at the birth of Christ all the way through to present day, why there was always such great persecution. We knew of then that there was a census put out. We knew of then that there was a decree that all babies, all baby boys under a certain age were to be killed, that the enemy wants to destroy the image of God. He wants to kill the image of God in you because that's the very thing that the incarnation came to do was to rest on you, was to dwell in you, and to live in you. And out of that, people would see him. That's how 
Jesus multiplied himself in the flesh, he was, could only do in, the human, in his humanity. But then when he died, ascended, sent the Holy Spirit, now Christ can do everywhere through us. I mean, this is amazing. And when we grow in our understanding that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, and this is what I, I want to do a quick teaching because I want you to get this revelation if you don't have it. And if you do, I want you to see that you not see yourself over here in your dysfunction or your sin, but you see yourself in light of Christ, in light of the incarnation, that this is what my calling as a believer is, is to make room for him, that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that it's not just some moral definition that, okay, I'm a temple, I have to do X, Y, Z. But when he comes in you and out of this place of, of this revelation, then you naturally begin to make decisions that, you know what, this sin nature or this old man, it is so obsolete, it is so worthless, it is so not who God's called me in the fullness to be that I don't even want to entertain that because now I have this identity as a saint and everything I do is geared toward, I'm a, I'm a partaker in the divine nature of Christ. And he's going to build me, he's going to grow me, but you have to understand it all starts today, it starts Christmas, that God became man so that we could become like him. And he did this through rescuing us and saving us and so Paul has a lot to say about this, but I want to start with Peter. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, you can highlight it, look at it. I'll read through it quickly, but it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So he's saying, I'm not going to leave you empty. I'm not going to leave you alone. That you're going to have everything you have need of to allow the word to be made flesh in you. It says, Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. So this is, this is the beauty of how we work our faith out. It says, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge. Knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful to the, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I think this tells us that if we're not careful, if we're not adding and eating of these fruits, you can forget that I'm a partaker in the divine nature. And so Peter's reminding us that don't lack these things, don't be short-sighted, don't be blind to them, but understand you've been cleansed, you've been bought with a price, that Jesus came because he loved you that much to show you a fuller life, to show you a life that isn't defined by your sin, but is defined by him, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so know that he wants us to learn to live in harmony with our new status as partakers in the divine nature. You see, many times, I don't know about you, but I don't dance. You're not going to teach me to dance. Um, I try. Bree tries to pull. Bree's a good dancer, but she understands where I'm at. 
um, we just don't dance. We didn't dance at our wedding because, I don't know, I just don't, I don't like dancing. And uh, some of you are like, yeah, I don't identify with Pastor Jared, so you can just check out this part of the message. But when you try the times that I was, I would try to learn to dance, it was pretty, pretty ugly. It wasn't pretty. Um, and I wasn't living in harmony with what was trying to take place. And I think this is a picture. You think of something that you've tried and you just kind of consistently fail in or that's awkward for you or that isn't working. Many times as Christians, we never go into the complete fullness of it. So our walk and understanding the relationship of how we've been cleansed of our sin and we stay cleansed through our sin through repentance is that in order to be in harmony with our new nature, you have to get out of your comfort zone and you have to allow God to begin to teach your tongue how to talk differently, to teach your mind how to view some things differently, to address the issues in your heart that maybe are foolish or some secret lies and sin that maybe you pushed down and harbored and nobody knows, that in order to get in harmony and be in this rhythm and in this dance, you got to go through some awkward phases first. And I think we fear, we, we, we tend to fear what that would be and what that would look like. But understanding that in our baptism, and we were baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, is that this is when the guilt of sin was taken away and that the hope of the resurrection, that we were given this, that again, we were dead to sin and now we are alive to Christ. So it's understanding in those moments in our lives when we've, when we've made decisions, public decisions, private decisions, that what happens in the spirit, then through faith you have to walk out in the flesh. And so there's this, there's this uh, place that you don't want there to be a disconnect of what decisions I've made in the spirit or what decisions I've made uh, in faith or with my mouth. Then it's getting it to where I'm going to walk it out in the flesh. And then the word is going to be made flesh through me, and there be visible real change that is seen for your sake and that other people around you can see. So Romans 8, 9 through 11 says this. As it, as it gets a little deeper, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So I just want you to catch this language of dwelling, of living, of being in Christ that it says that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And so we see that Again, it's Christ in us of where we have this hope. It's Christ dwelling in us. It's nothing we can do. It's nothing we can change or obtain. But it's coming to the revelation that because of Christmas, because of the incarnation, I want, I want this revelation that now Christ is in me through faith, and then it can begin to be fleshed out, that the word can begin to be made flesh in my life. Other language in scripture says Galatians 2.20. just want you to see this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, next week we're going to have an anointing service where we pray and we anoint and we worship and we just allow the presence of God to nourish us. And we're going to have a time of communion. And I always think of communion that it's a moment and it's a mystery, it's a sacrament that God gives us. And it is a reminder of nourishing the body and the blood of Christ. That that language is given to us, that we partake of the body and the blood because it's a sign that Christ is dwelling in us. That when we eat of the elements, it's a reminder that it is Christ in us and that there is this holiness that we walk in so that Christ can be seen through us. And I want this just to to wake you up and to take you to a deeper place because it's so easy to miss the nativity, the story of Christmas, to get nostalgic about it. But there is a supernatural work that has taken place that began with the incarnation and that the whole New Testament revolves around of how now the word is made flesh through you because that's where you're changed and that's where Christ puts a, a home in you and then when you when your day is appointed and you die, then you go home to be with him. So home with him starts now. It doesn't start then. It's when Christ comes and lives in you. That's the beginning. And then it's a natural progression and a transition into eternity. So why would you wait at the last minute to build a home for him? That's not wisdom and that's not wise. And that's why you're here. Because you take your walk with God serious and you want the word made flesh in you now. Not experiencing it then or in a moment of crisis, but it's the word being made flesh in you now and understanding that my old man has been crucified with Christ and I have this privilege and this honor in this life to make a home for him to come and dwell. And that is the temple of the Holy Spirit that you are, that we all are together. And when one is making a home and another is making a home, that's what I love when you visit family and friends' home. Everyone's home looks different. But when you walk into a home that you know, okay, this family is a Christian, there's a sense of peace, that there is a unity there, but there's also a diversity. That there's different design, there's different colors, there's different flavors and, and all of these things. But we understand that at the end of the day, what our life and what our purpose about is to understand that it is Christ in me. That that is the longing and the reason I worship, the reason that I I walk this life out and take my walk with God serious is I want Christ in me to be honored and to be glorified and to be seen. And so we look at other places in Scripture, and I'm heavy on Scripture today because I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians six fifteen through 20. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? This is what Scripture says. It says, certainly not. Why would you do that? Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one's flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then he goes on. He says, to flee sexual immorality, to flee immorality. It says, every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body, here it is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And it says, your body and your spirit, which are God's. And so this is the sacred purpose of God again, that it's Christ in you, that we're to dwell with and that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible gives us instructions that we flee the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. We flee the pride of life because these are immorality, lust. These things are things that can hurt the body and can hurt your temple. And it's not out of I'm bashing the Bible over your head. This is not the language of, of Paul. It's saying to safeguard yourself and protect yourself. Just like you put a lock on, on the door of your house, have some locks on your temple. That there's certain things that I'm not going to let through. And there's certain things that I don't want to defile my temple. But here's the good news. There's times we will fall into folly. We will fall into sin. And this is why he gives us repentance. Because when we come to moments and crossroads where I've fallen short, I've sinned, we can bow low and receive the forgiveness of God. And as he cleanses us, this is how amazing grace is. When he cleanses us, then we can rise in the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And he can make us new and we can begin to move forward and not entertain that which bound us, but live free, be set free and continue to live free. And so to protect our temple, it's saying no to temptation. And it's saying yes to Jesus. It's saying no to disordered desires. And it's, it's having the standard of God's word is your guide to him. 1 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Again, this just puts the seriousness of understanding that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, and I can't tell you I fully understand the power of what this scripture says, but it says that if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So this is the, the, the seriousness and the weight of what he takes of the place that he comes to dwell. But it's not in a place of God is angry and despises you, but he loves you and he wants you to experience the fullness of him with you in one body, one spirit, and him dwelling in you. John 14, and the gospel of John is full of this language, but I want you to see this, and it says, a little while longer, the world will see me no more. So this is, all of this has been a setup for where we're at here and what Jesus is, is saying. It says, a little while longer, the world won't see me, so I'm leaving in, in the flesh, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. At the day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, I always feel bad in the Bible. It, it has to put a clear definition. This isn't that Judas. All right? So it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not 
keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So this is what we see is that as he comes to dwell, he comes to put a home in your life. He comes to build a home in you, and it's through your surrender, it's through your yes to the Holy Spirit, to the presence of God, through the reading of his word, through being in the house of God, fellowshipping with the people of God. That's a way you furnish the house of God in your life. And so I want you to see Christmas each and every year as a reminder of I am a temple for the word to be made flesh in me. And that's what Jesus gave his life to put himself with us and in us and around us to build a place for him. And then one day he will bring us home with him and it will be a beautiful, natural transition. This is how really amazing the whole story of God is, that he leaves nothing undone, nothing unchecked. And so I want to invite a worship team and I want to leave you with this and I want to pray and I want to just ask you this week to prepare your heart. Maybe it's through a a time of of fasting. Maybe it's through a time of, of reflection, of prayer, of maybe opening your Bible again. But I believe God is going to speak to you next week individually. I believe he's going to speak to our church corporately. Um, But I want what starts at Christmas. It should be momentum into a new year. It should be momentum into your walk with God. And that when you live in the seasons that the church gives us, it keeps us grounded and reminded of how we walk in humility, how we receive the grace of God in our life, and how we keep ourselves open to the things of the Holy Spirit. But this was Jesus' prayer in John 17. His prayer for all believers, it says this. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them and that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So it's this beautiful telling and this tapestry and this stitching together of the love of God coming forth into our life and then the love of God being made manifest through us. Look what it goes on to say. It says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you and that these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of the Father of the Holy Spirit. But just what we ended there, that the love of God may be in them, and that I in them. I want you to stand this morning, and I want to pray. And I want to simply ask you, if you're open to receive a deeper revelation of the love of God in you, the love of God dwelling in you, burning in you, flowing through you, uh, that you would be open to that. 
And next week, just like it even says in Timothy, when hands were laid upon Timothy, that there was a stirring that took place. That the love of God would get stirred up in you, that you would leave the house of fear, and you would step into the house of love, which is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world is motivated by fear, but the kingdom of God is always motivated by love. And when we praise, when we worship, the house of love is formed within us. The person of Christ is formed within us. And he comes and he builds that home. And any spirit, you know, it says in, in Mark 3.27, I was reading this. It says that how can you expect to walk into a home and bind up a spirit? It says this, it says, I wrote it down last minute. It says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So it's saying, unless you know that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, unless you know the authority that you have in Christ, how can you walk into a, a man's house who is stronger than you and expect to have any kind of victory or get any of the goods? So when you get to this place of Christ being formed in you, the Holy Spirit empowering you, the love of God flowing through you, then there is an authority and a strength that when you see a spirit, when you see uh, anything even in the demonic, you can take authority over that thing, over that spirit, using the name of Jesus, walking in your heavenly authority. And you can understand that sin is not going to have the final word. The enemy is not going to have the final word, but the name of Jesus is. And so this is the power we have. And I was thinking of, a, um, of a Christmas hymn, Tidings of Comfort and Joy. We sing this and we know this, and it's a beautiful song. But I was listening to this the other day, and there was a line in the hymn that, that struck me. One of the parts, it says this. It says, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. But hear this to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. You see, Jesus coming, it was to save us from Satan's power because we're all going to go astray. We're all going to fall into wickedness and to fall. But the power of Christmas is, is that he's destroyed the devil for you. He's destroyed sin and death for you. He cares about you that much. And when you open up your mind and open up your heart to the love of God and simply receive that, that, wow, it's Christ in me, that I'm a partaker of the divine nature, that he wants to be formed within me where I can experience the fulfillment of all desire, which is his love, where I can experience anything that is, is lacking within me. The Holy Spirit can bind up my weakness, can bind up my wounds that the power of Jesus can resonate within you so strong, it can heal any insecurity, it can heal any addiction, it can heal any wrong thinking, that this is the power of the incarnation. It is the word made flesh in you. And so I want to pray for you, and I just want to ask the Holy Spirit that whatever you need, wherever you're at, that the word would illuminate and be made flesh in you this day. So Jesus, we thank you with our hands lifted in a posture of surrender. We ask, Holy Spirit, that the word be made flesh in us. 
that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Father, we confess our sins, forgive us of our sins, the things we've done in the body, out of the body. Father, we thank you that you are merciful and we run to the Father right now. And Father, we thank you that we are cleansed, we are made new, that you recreate us, that you make us into more and more like Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we ask that the greatest gift you've given us is salvation. The greatest gift you've given us is the Holy Spirit, that he dwells in us, and that your dying prayer, your prayer before you would go to your passion was that we would be one as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. That you be with us and in us and all around us. We ask that this would be our reality. We ask that you would open up our eyes to this. And as we sing this song, let us reflect on the power of the incarnation, that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that death is defeated, sin is defeated, that Jesus reigns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we have hope, that we have uh, a greater word over anything that has been spoken against us, that you've come to bind up so that we can plunder what the enemy has taken, that you can restore us and bring us into your kingdom, that you can build your house within us. In Jesus' name.